We are back, Marlins fans, for episode eight of Swimming Upstream. It's Alex back here with you guys. And guys, I am super excited for this show, as I am for every show, but this show in particular, because today, selfishly speaking, I get to talk to one of the gentlemen who bridged my career, really, from fan to reporter. This is one of the first guys that I ever reported on when I started writing about Marlins prospects, uh, starting back in 2013. Seems like a long time ago, but... Seems like the time's flying. Every year gets a little faster. <laughs> so time flies when I'm having fun, but it's a good time. So today I'm grateful to be joined, so grateful to be joined, uh, by former Marlins pitcher and current agent who represents Pro Agents Incorporated, Tom Kohler. Tom, thanks so much again for taking the time. We know you're joining us fresh off your most recent Disney vacation. So first of all, how are we doing? And judging by Twitter, looks like you guys enjoyed yourself. I saw the Mace Windu lightsaber. And the blue milk that uh, you in there. So how was it? Yeah, it was good. Um, still trying to catch up on sleep. Honestly, I'm I'm exhausted from it. It's, I've I've had like full full on like adult vacations that I recover from easier than a Disney vacation. It's just <laughs> it's just four days, four or five days of just nonstop walking. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I I love it there too. Especially, it must be awesome for you with the family. But it takes a lot out of you for sure, especially with the sun and everything else. But yeah, I mean, the weather was, we we got really lucky though. We have perfect weather. It's like in the sixties every day, so nice. um, it's that's that's the way to do it. I, I won't go in the summer. Never, yeah. no chance. Yeah, I just told you we were there in August and it was brutal. Anyways, <laughs> back to the topic at hand. Uh, thank you again so much for coming on. I know you continue to be. Uh, super busy with the family, but all, not only with the family and Disney and everything else, but also with your, your current gig, which I'll get into. Um, but I want to start back at the beginning, bro. Um, I want to start uh, based uh, how you got into baseball, really. So we know you're born in the Bronx. You went to a high school nearby, New Rochelle, stayed at home, went to college at Stony Brook. Uh, so clearly, you know, now and then you've always valued your family, which is huge for us. So take us through those early years as a player and your growth as a pitcher uh, all the way up to 2007. Yeah, I mean, started playing really young. Didn't really get into pitching until uh, probably high school. Kind of threw harder than everybody. I hit a growth spurt and just started throwing harder than everybody. You know, I used to I used to move around the field between catching or playing, you know, first and third. And then eventually, I, well, once I started pitching, I, I moved to the outfield to try to save some uh, bullets on my arm. But – you know, it's just something that, you know, my dad my dad coached me all the way up through Little League and everything, and my parents were always got me to practice on time, and they were really invested, and they, they did a great job of, like, instilling a work ethic in me. Um, and it was just, you know, it wasn't necessarily something I ever thought would dominate my entire life. Uh, I loved it as a kid. I wanted to keep playing. I think every kid who plays has dreams of playing, you know, high school, college, or, or the majors. Um, but, you know, the odds of that necessarily happening you know, are, are pretty slim. So I uh, definitely – I'm happy with how it turned out, but definitely wasn't the road I thought I was going to go down. It definitely worked out, man, for sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, starting here, basically, uh, June 2008, uh, the Marlins select you uh, 18th rounder, 538 overall. Um, where were you on draft day, and what were your feelings when you got that call that you were coming here south to join the Marlins? Well, Take us through that. Uh, the draft was was kind of a wild experience because I put up some really big numbers my senior year of high school and talked to a bunch of teams and really thought I had a chance to go to high school. Uh, you know, and my parents were big on me going to college, 
and looking back at it, like that was definitely the right move. You know, when you're when you're seven, I was 17 at the time, so I didn't necessarily understand the you know impact of life, or I definitely didn't know about taxes. So even if I would have got drafted and got a little bit of money, I was giving half of it away. Uh, so I wouldn't have been left with really much in my pocket at all. You know, so they, they really wanted me to go to college in case, you know, think, because in my mind, I didn't, I didn't think it would fail once at that point. You know, when, when I was a senior in high school, I had a feeling that's what I wanted. I wanted to play professional baseball. Um, and I, I, there was no other real, like, goal from that point. But they were, you know, realistic about the whole thing. Like, they understood that that's not, doesn't really happen, especially growing up in New York. Right. So <clears throat> I didn't get drafted then. Um, junior year of college, same thing, thought I was going to go and, and had teams tell me they were going to take me in a certain spot. You know, being from Stony Brook, you don't really have a lot of leverage. So senior year, I get a, I get a phone call. I think it was like the third round by the Red Sox. And they're like, hey, if we take you in the next round, would you sign? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I never heard from anybody again until the Marlins called me in the 18th round. And it was at that point, like, you know, we were kind of sitting, me and my family were sitting around the house all day just – you know, that was it. It was my senior year. Like, if I don't, if I don't get called now, it's not gonna happen. And I think, like, I think my parents just left to go do something with my sister, and I was sitting in the basement on our uh, desktop computer because we didn't have Wi-Fi, and there was like didn't have a laptop, so it was just family computer. And then, like, my name came across, and then I had a phone call two seconds later. I never, I never even met the Marlins guy who drafted me. Like to this day, I don't know. Who, I, I, I know the name, but I, I couldn't point him out. There were three people standing in front of me. I wouldn't know who, who he was. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, in my mind, man, you, you said you were getting some attention there in the third round. Marlins get you in the 18th. In my mind, ultimate steal. But judging by now, everything worked out. Everything you provided for the Marlins, total steal. And we're so, so glad to have had you because I'll get to it. You've done things for the Marlins organization that basically no other pitcher has done in terms of innings pitched, games appeared in, stuff like that. So – a, a true asset, and really the talent went a long way, and we got in the 18th round. So whoever that scout was did a good job for sure. So. I think I think he actually I think he won scout of the year that year. By, by <laughs> Makes the sense. I remember I remember seeing his name on a plaque. Uh, it might have been in spring training in 2009, and I was like, oh, I guess they like me. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, yeah, awesome. Well, that's an awesome story. Anyways. <laughs> Back to the next one here. It's on the minor league system. You, you basically went through the entire system, starting in Jamestown, uh, which then was um, short season ball uh, in your draft year, went all the way through to New Orleans. Um, so I have an initial, initial question here for you, and then I'll follow it up quickly. Um, give us an adjective. We know a lot of stuff happens in minor league ball, right? But give us an adjective or two to describe your growth in the Marlins system. If you can sum it up, you know, a four, your four-year uh, minor league experience, and a great one, I might add, 12-plus wins in your last – three minor league seasons before joining the Marlins. So really great there. Some good strike on number two. So if you could try to sum it up, your experience and your time for the Marlins leading up to the draft, or leading up to your MLB debut, I should say. Go ahead. Mm. That's tough. Um, there's a lot of ways I would describe it. So picking one word makes it hard. Um, I would say exhausting to a degree. Uh, stressful. And then worthwhile, really. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, in my mind, I was looking back at the numbers and going based off memory too. Like that last minor league season, it, it felt to me, and you don't have to say this, but it, to me, looking at it from my perspective, I think you were held back a little bit. I think you could have been here a little bit sooner. Anyways. <laughs> I, I got no problem saying it now. They don't write my checks anymore. I, I thought I thought if the timing was right, I could have been called up in September of my double A season. Yeah. But, you know, looking back at that, that was a full – full year before I even had to be put on a 40-man and protected. So there's really no point for that. Um, and then even the next year, the next year, my first year in New Orleans, I, I started that season in my first five starts. I was like 5-0 and oh, or 4-0 and oh with like a one six five. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking I was going, uh, getting called up. Uh, Michael Hill came to see me pitch, and he was I didn't know he was coming. And there wasn't a lot of people in the stands in New Orleans, so he, you, you could see him sitting behind home plate. And I was warming up, and one of our relievers went up to our pitching coach was like, hey, I got to be ready in, in, like, the second inning, right, because he's going up to the big leagues. And I proceeded to go out there and throw, like, 60 pitches in the first two innings. And I didn't get called up. They ended up calling somebody else up. And at that point, I was like, you know, what else do I really have to do? I just won 16 games last year. I'm 4-0 now with like a 1-5. Like, I don't think – I don't have anything else left. Like, I, this is – but – and I'm sure we'll get there on this this road, but it, it ultimately that, that was like worth it because I learned a lot about how to, how to handle stuff that had that not happen, and I went up and struggled. I might not have known how to recover. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the timing is definitely important uh, for every minor league player, but uh, those last three seasons in the minors, so Marlins leading up to that debut were just awesome for you. It was awesome to watch, awesome to follow. So uh, as a follow-up to that, um, as a guy that spent time in each minor league affiliate, um, we've been to a lot of minor league parks, New Orleans included, Jupiter, of course, every Marlins affiliate, um, and then some. Uh, so we know you must have some awesome minor league stories. So just give us maybe one story that you have, something that happened to you that, or that you witnessed in minor league ball that just doesn't happen in major league baseball. Uh, just one story. We know well, you probably I mean, have we many. Were, Give us more. We were in double we A. We were in the playoffs. And we had to be out of our apartments. And they wouldn't get us hotel rooms. So we slept in the clubhouse. <laughs> so you had – I think some guys were able to get places to stay. But, you know, for the most part, there was like 12 guys sleeping in the locker room guys sprawled out on the training room table and everything. So, you know, you, you don't see that happen. And then New Orleans had had a habit of the dugout would flood if it rained too hard to the point where there was like four feet of standing water from the steps of the clubhouse to the steps of the uh, dugout. So I've seen – I saw guys like floating there on rafts and stuff. And, it, I mean, it was gross, but it was pretty funny to see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely in Old Marlin short season Batavia, they have the story, same kind of stories like that as well. Those those older parks don't they don't have great drainage. So yeah, <laughs> definitely Yeah, but it wasn't even it wasn't even a field, really. You know, the fields ended up always being yeah. fine. It was just the the way things sloped. It's like, you know, New Orleans, it rains a lot. You should yeah. you know, you should know yeah how, how to handle that. Right. Um, you know, you should be able to build the dugout in a way where the pipes, the drains aren't always clogged where they don't drain. Um you know, J Jamestown, not really that much, you know, in, other than the fact that none of us had cars um, <laughs> because they flew us down for our physicals to Jupiter and then flew us straight from Jupiter to Jamestown. So we had to walk everywhere. This was before Uber. Um, so that was 
you know, not not that fun. If you if it was a hot or rainy day, like just walking to the walking back to your apartment after a game in the pouring rains. But it's, yeah. you got to do it. That's the grind, right? Yeah, that's that's how you earn to get where you're at, right? So for sure. Anyways, uh, go back to 2012 or going up to 2012, I should say. Um, you already touched on the numbers, uh, but I'll just uh, put an exclamation point on it here. 2012, Tom Kohler started with a quality start, and from April 24th through August 11th of that season, 13 of 21 outings were also also quality starts, including four straight and then another five straight a little bit after that. So during that span, uh, you had a 3.23 ERA again in the PCL, which anybody that knows is a huge hitters league. So for sure, that's which year is that? Uh, that is, uh, is I believe, that... 2012. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that was. That was a good year. I think I made the all, I made the All Star team that game. Yep. But yep. Or All Star team that year. <laughs> that team was stacked too. Yeah. yeah. So my question yeah. here, uh, that run leading up to uh, to your debut, and then we'll follow it up. Uh, you know, I, I honestly don't remember much about that, but I do remember the way the season ended. Um, they called me in the office to tell me I wasn't getting called up. And that the uh, you know pitching coach who I had actually had at um, Jamestown, Greensboro, and two years in New Orleans, you know, it's basically every year except for one. Um, was like, I'm sorry, like you deserve better. And I remember we so I was supposed to pitch, and then we had a hurricane, so I was really bummed that I wasn't going to get 150 innings because like there was a rainout, so my my. I pitched like one inning and then got, that start got washed out. And then I had a start at the end of the year that was going to get canceled. I'm like, I'm not going to get, I want, I want 150 innings. Like I, I want to get that. So they're like, all right, you want to go throw in the, out of the bullpen for two innings? It's like, yeah. They're like, all right, but you're not going to be the first guy called. Like we'll give you time. Next thing you know, I'm the, starter gets in trouble, like, you're like, hey, you, you get ready. I'm like, okay, it's the exact opposite of what you said was going to happen. <laughs> I went out there, and I was throwing, like, 94 to 96, and then on the bus ride home, there were, like, three of us on the bus because everybody else flew. We were in Round Rock. Uh, I got a phone call from our manager who was on the – because we had two buses. He was on the other bus. Where there was just one other coach. And he's like, yeah, they, they, uh, they changed their mind. You're going to go up now. And I was like, I was like all right. <laughs> I already threw my cleats out. Um, I really, I didn't have anything. I threw a bunch of like my equipment. I had to call New Balance and get stuff sent pretty fast. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So you kind of already touched on it there. Uh, August 30th, you pitched uh, in AAA and then uh, you get your big league debut on 5th of September. Uh, so who's the first person you told about the debut and uh, what were the emotions like for that? I called my fiance, who's my now wife, because she was like, you know, she was talking me off the ledge because I had, you know, a few hours ago, I was telling her how they just told me I wasn't going up. So, I, I, like, we were figuring out what, what we were going to do. Um, then my parents and my agent, like, kind of the same thing because I'd been on the phone with them nonstop because I was like, guys, like, I was I was contemplating going to Japan at that point. So I was like, look, I've just made the all-star team in the PCL. It's not easy to do. Um, coming off, you know, two years removed for pitcher of the year, uh, won 12 games the year before. Like, at, at this point – Obviously, it's not going to happen here. So, like, to call them, like, she thought I was joking. She's like, no, nah, you know, that's not funny. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm like, trust me, I'm as shocked as you are. 
Sure. It's amazing how things change, like all of a yeah. sudden, that, right? That's, but that's awesome. And we're glad that you didn't go to Japan for sure. We're glad that you were here. Uh, speaking of which, you're with the Marlins from 2012 through 2017. And in a single word, I'd use to describe your career with Fish as just solid, right? You know, along with Jose, uh, you were a guy that could more often than not just be counted on to go out there, keep the team in the game for, you know, five plus innings and give the bullpen a break. Um, and that was huge for those years' teams because you and Jose and not too much after that, right? Maybe maybe one guy, maybe two guys, but that revolving door with the old regime and everything. So, you know, you and Jose, that from that moment of time were the guys for the Marlins rotation. Yeah, um, you know, early on, that the like you said, the revolving door, like that was really tough mentally because, um, you know, I didn't start starting that year until around Mother's Day in May 2013. And I was – I saw – seen what had happened with guys before me. And I was like, man, I'm one bad inning away from getting sent down. Or, or And every time you give up a double, you're not thinking as the manager coming to get me. Like, you're wondering if the GM is. And I, I <laughs> our pitching coach, Chuck Hernandez, at the time, like, he pulled me aside and he's like, look, if you're healthy, you're pitching every five days. No matter how this goes, you're going to pitch every fifth day as a starter and we'll see where it goes. And then once he told me that, like, I had a – I had a – it gave me confidence going into the end of the season where I was like, okay, now I know this is my job. Let me just go out there and, and do what I've done for the last four years in the minors. And it was a huge weight off my shoulder. Yeah, for sure. And you were out there quite frequently, right? <laughs> From 2014 to 2016, 30 plus starts in each season. Guys, yep. no other member of this organization has accomplished that, accomplished that since Tom. So huge. Like I said at the beginning, this guy was just out there every day throwing the ball, and he could be killed. Yeah, and, then that, and then in 16, I was chasing that 10th win for about three months, it felt yeah. like. Like I was stuck on nine because um, that would have put me in, in – at that time, like I, was, I was actually well aware of it. Like there was – I don't think there was really anybody who had had three years of 30 starts and 10 wins right. in a row. So I was like, I got to get this. I got to get this. And I remember, um, you know, after, after the Jose stuff happened, they, I pitched against the Mets. I think, I don't know, that's a blur. And, like, I didn't even know where I was. Like, the game was terrible. Yeah. And my turn was coming up the last game of the year. And they were like, you don't, you don't have to pitch if you don't want to. And I was like, no, that's what I do here. I pitch every fifth day. So I'm going to go pitch. And, you know, I was also going for that 10th win. And I remember I had a bunch of guys like David Phelps and other relievers who they, were, they told them, they're like, hey, your year's done. Good job. Like, thanks for everything. And they were like, no, if he's going to go pitch, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down to the pen because, like, we're going to – and then Prado ended up being the manager, and I believe he took me out prematurely. <laughs> but no, he didn't. I got rocked Figured. that game. I, 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 I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't have pitched. <laughs> got you. So the question on that topic, uh, the 30-plus starts and all that stuff, and everything that you did here out there basically all the time, right? Um, how how did you, like, just stay durable and stay out there throwing the ball and, and stay in – I mean, in I, don't know, I don't know that I necessarily was durable because, I mean, that's why I'm sitting here talking to you as a former player are those years, right? Like, I never felt like I was good enough to miss starts. You know, I, I always thought my biggest, you know, my biggest attribute and the way I could help the team the most is by pitching every five days, where they just know, like, no matter what, um, he's going to go out there, he's going to give us everything he has, and five days later, it's going to be the same thing, and 
there might be a bad inning mixed in, but he's got to figure out a way to throw innings. And, you know, that's, that's not necessarily something that's uh, valued anymore in the game with the way teams are using bullpens and stuff. Like they, they, they want guys out of there faster and, and rotating. But, uh, you know, there was, I pitched through a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have. And, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm not, I don't regret it at all because um, it, was, it was a fun run and awesome to do. But physically, I just got to the point where my body couldn't handle it anymore. So it was tough. Like in 16, I was, I was doing two hours of treatment before every start just to get – before I even started playing catch. You know, just trying to trying to get out there and, and pitch, and you know there was a stretch where we were in the we were in the playoff hunt, and Jose had a little flare up with his shoulder, so he stopped, and then Chen hurt his elbow. So like there was, it was basically just me at that point, and we were filling in with whoever could pitch at that at that time. So I was like, I, I got to keep going until these guys come back. Yeah, for sure, and I think what Tom just said is speaks to his really great attitude of being an ultimate team player. He's a guy who wants to be out there. He was out there a lot. Just admitted it, maybe pitched through some stuff that, uh, that, was, uh, that was bugging him, but he wanted to be there for the team, which is awesome, and you love to see it. So, all right, uh, Tom, I got a couple more for you here. Um, you mentioned him already. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on this uh, from September 2016 with Jose. Um, you know, teammate you came up with uh, for the first time, you know, he came up a summer after you. Um, tragically lost uh, that month. Um, we were there in attendance that night uh, when they played the Mets, as you stated. Um, so many emotions for me, and I'm in the fan. I'm in the stands as a fan and upcoming, trying to be a reporter. So, uh, and I had I was had tears running down my face myself. These uh, home run, everything else. We all know the the saga. So, um, you know, most uniquely important baseball game I've ever attended. So, take us through that night for you uh, in the dugout, uh, your friendship with Jose, and tell us now as an agent just how good he was. Well, so that game, that game, I mean, that was just, that was nuts. I remember, you know, the, the meeting the Mets in the middle of the field. Like that was something that just kind of happened organically. Like it wasn't planned. It wasn't, we had talked about so many different things. Um, I remember me and Yelich went up to, to David Sampson's office to kind of discuss like, do you, do we think like playing this would be okay before the game and, and things like that? We're like, yeah, that, that's, that's good. Um, but the stuff with the Mets never came up, like never talked to anybody over there. So when, when Curtis Granderson came over, who was like one of the, the best guys in baseball, like, you know, and I, I thanked him for it at the union meetings, like months later, I was like, Hey, I, that was really, uh, really special. Like, thank you. But that every time somebody stepped out of the dugout that night, like the place went nuts and you just felt like it, it, like raw emotion and everybody was kind of in it together. And, you know, people always say, oh, well, you know, we were just fans and we were a player, but like sometimes fans have more connections to players than teammates do. You know, like there's people who um, buy jerseys, guys, get tattoos of, of their signatures, you know, are so locked in, uh, sometimes to an obsessive point, right? But but still, like, there's so much um, that, like, especially a guy like that, like that, that was the guy who was supposed to be Miami for the next 15 years. Now, at, on the agent side, I don't know if Miami would have ended up being able to ever really afford him because that guy was, you know, as far as stuff goes, I still haven't seen anything like it. I think uh, 
you know, a guy who kind of reminds me. I remember when I watched Walker Bueller from the dugout, um, kind of in his rookie year, it was kind of like that was the closest I've seen to like a rookie come up and just have kind of an arrogance to him, but not, not like, not necessarily in a, in a bad way, but like where you're out there on the mountain, you're like, I know I belong. Like there was no fear. And I remember telling him like, that's the closest I've seen to it. Like stuff wise, like just fastball command and explosive breaking balls. God, it was phenomenal. And that, that whole thing was just wild. Cause you know, my, uh, I was home for paternity leave. I, my, my second daughter was born on the 22nd and I, I, he was supposed to pitch that Sunday. I saw on Twitter that he was getting pushed back to Monday or whatever it was. And um, <laughs> the crazy thing about, so I didn't, I was pitching behind him. So I found out I got pushed back. And I remember like reaching out to the pitching coach. They're like, no, 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 you know, stay home one more day. It's fine. Like we want him facing the Mets because it's the wild card. Uh, you'll pitch Tuesday against them. And I'm like, okay. And then I, so I drove down. I was the first, second one to get to the locker room. Justin Nicolino was at his locker. And uh, he like looked at me and I was like, it's like, you're not going to, you know, I was like, you're not going to say congratulations to me. I just had a kid. And he like, he like looks at me and I'm like, what? He's like, Jose died. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, there's no chance. So I went in, uh, went into Mattingly's office and Michael Hill and David Sampson were both in there and, and uh, Tim Wallach. And they, I was like, is this for real? And they're like, yeah. And kind of, you know, Samson asked me to text everybody and just be like, hey, come to the stadium. Game's canceled, but I can't tell you why. And so I sent that text out. Guys started seeing it on Twitter. Guys started pulling into the stadium. You know, we we waited a while for you – know, we had a guy on the team who unfortunately had experienced this at another stop. So <clears throat> we had to actually wait for him to get there. So we probably didn't meet till 11 o'clock. We're all just sitting in the clubhouse the whole time. And then, and then we were forced to grieve in a fishbowl, like no pun intended. Everybody, everybody was watching us. How do we handle it? Walking down, you know, in front of the stadium with the hearse and, and, uh, you know, they're coming in. And, and I think that, and I, you know, I think that's what made 2017 so hard too, is that it still, it still got brought up every day. Right. Like I know the media had to ask, like, how do you replace Jose? It's like, you know, we're trying to move on and you're still asking us yeah. to go back and talk about it. Right. Like it, it, it made it really tough. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. At that, at that, it gets to a point where you're just like, we want to grieve about it and we want to get past it. Keep bringing it up with the media and everything. I totally get you. Uh, but yeah, this, that was a rough time for sure. Um, getting past that, uh, we go up to uh, 2017, which you just mentioned, Tom. Um, you're traded. You get traded by the Marlins, and you're traded to the Blue Jays. Um, yeah. we, read a, we read a quote uh, from Tim Healy, who used to work for the Marlins. He now works for the Mets. Um, I want to read his quote to you. Um, it's a quote that you gave, I believe, on a media call. Um, and it says this. Uh, when you get the phone call, you just don't know how to feel. Uh, I've been with the Marlins for so long. I'm beyond excited for my opportunity with the Blue Jays. But you're leaving behind something that's a huge part of your life. So my question to you here, um, we know that you guys as players can't control these uncontrollable business sides of baseball, right? Uh, but when you came up the way you did, where the Marlins are basically everything you've ever known in professional baseball for your whole career, and now you're forced to go to a new place with all new people for the first time in your career, 
and you know you, you don't know where you're going you're also going to a different country when it comes to the blue jays right yeah <laughs> so uh my question for you here um new clubhouse experiences well everything so my question for you here um as much as baseball is baseball you know i figured that that couldn't have been easy for you so take us through you know that year and how well you honestly at that point i was i really wanted to be traded that year um there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes where um I knew my time in Miami was over. Like I, I, I knew for sure. Like before I got traded, I was kind of made aware that no matter what, I would not be throwing another pitch in a Marlins uniform. I won't get into too much details about that. Like that's sure stuff that'll stay behind there. But yep. um, yeah, like to me, you know, I was a guy who everything was going to have to go right for me to make it to the big leagues, right? And I guess they did. So I was very, I was very attached to Miami, right? Like my, I think a lot of guys look at their career, you know, some know they're going to be superstar players where they're going to get to free agency at some point and they're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Like for me, um, I just wanted to win baseball games. Like I just wanted to play the game that I always played and play it hard. And then, you know, when I, when I got traded to Toronto, it was the first time, like, I you – because know, sometimes things happen in Miami where, where you feel like the other teams are almost – right, especially then where, like, you felt like maybe other teams were looking down on you a little bit, right? Like, like almost like the – almost like the Spirit Airlines of baseball where those pilots get paid well and they're really qualified and they do their job really well, but people look at all the stuff that goes on around them and they, they just have an instant, um, you know – judgment on them so luckily i didn't know a single person in toronto like i we don't play the al all that much i think i played against toronto once leading up to that so i didn't know any of those guys luckily tim leeper was the first base coach and he was my manager at jacksonville in double a so it made the transition very easy and then toronto itself was phenomenal like the, the city was great the the fans like they really love their blue jays um you know I and I've been in Miami for so long. I can go walk. I could have walked down Lincoln Road with my uniform on, and people wouldn't like necessarily know who I was. Um, not not a knock. Like, I'm not saying I, they should, but in Toronto, like they know who everybody is because it's you know it's a team that represents the entire country. Right. So it was definitely it was definitely a little different there, um, but. It's it still was in Miami. Like I going to the ballpark every day. It didn't necessarily always feel like home. You know, you drive you drive six years. You drive the same way to the field. You go to the same locker, and then you got to go somewhere else. Like it, it's definitely a change. Yeah, for sure. Can't even imagine. Like <laughs> it it must be hard. I mean, as much as you said that, you know, you, you knew you were probably going to go somewhere else. You know, when it finally hits, it's like, what do I do? <laughs> I don't, yeah. how, do I, how do I get comfortable again? You know, so. Yeah, um, yeah, like now, now that, you know, now that I'm done playing, you know, I, I appreciate my time with, with uh, Toronto and I appreciate my time with the Dodgers and the opportunity they gave me. Unfortunately, my arm gave out and I never got to really see what would have happened with it. But like when I look back now, like I consider myself a Marlins fan to, as much as I can be in my, you know, obviously in my new role, like I'm not going to give discounts to the Marlins because I play for them. I'm, I'm still going to try to. <laughs> Come on, why not? <laughs> but 
but in saying that, like, there's nothing, especially like what they went through this year. Like, I, I love the success. I hope I want that team to win. I want to see, you know, I feel like if they win a championship, I, I feel like part of me wins one in a way because I was there for so long. And I, I know a lot of guys that feel that way. Like, you know, we, we all, a bunch of us still talk and talk about how, you know, we, we do miss our time down there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So uh, you heard him, Marlins fan for life, Tom Kohler. That's, that's awesome. Love to see yeah. same, same here. <laughs> all right, Tom, we come up to uh, 2020. Uh, a big year for you. Um, obviously, you just mentioned you, uh, you hang them up literally on Instagram. We saw the post. Yeah. Yeah. Tom literally hung up his cleats, which uh, was an awesome post. Uh, and, you know, as much as we know what he, what he went through with his arm late in his career, it, it was good to see that he was at peace, right? And, Tom, you, you could probably talk to that, that, you know, you gave everything you could, right? But then you don't stay away from the game long because you come back as an agent, which is your current, your current uh, gig. So let us know how yeah, you – Yeah, so I had been rehabbing for so long that I kind of felt like I was retired already to a degree because, like, I wasn't traveling and I wasn't playing. Um, you know, spring training, things were things were going great this year. My my velo was back, my stuff was back, and then my shoulder kind of got cranky again, and I just couldn't do it again, could not get back in a rehab cycle. Like, I, I, I didn't have any more mental fight for that, right? Like, I've been fighting my whole career – I can't fight this injury anymore. Like, even if I get back, odds are it's going to flare up at some point again. So, like, I mean, obviously, I didn't know that the world was going to shut down a week after I retired because I might have looked at it differently and I might have tried to just keep pushing through it and seeing what happened. You know, baseball didn't start up again until July. I could have been 100% by then. I don't know. But, um, you know, I always, I always loved the business side of baseball. And – you know, I always had done stuff with the Players Association. So I always knew that I wanted to stay in the game in some capacity, whether it be working for the union or, or you know, even working as a, in the front office. But, you know, I, I thought about coaching and I just – I wasn't ready for six months of – six to seven months of travel again. Like, I got young kids. I want to I be able to see them do stuff. And uh, my agent – brought up the idea of, you know, coming aboard and, and kind of running, running the area down here in Florida. So I don't have to travel much and there's plenty of talent in Florida. Uh, and, and I get to be, you know, the director of pitching performance, which is essentially just the in-house pitching coach. So I get to help our guys develop instead of, you know, sitting on a bus and helping 12 guys that may not really care what I have to say. Uh, that is always interchangeable. Like these are our guys. So, you know, instead of just trying to, you know, just wait for guys to gain value in their play, I get to be involved in their development to hopefully get that value sooner. For sure. Yeah, it's awesome that you're still involved because you're definitely an asset as a player and now as an agent. So uh, I want to get to two quick questions on the current scope of the Marlins. Okay. And then uh, I'll have my quick fry round, which is quick. It's if you're up for it. <laughs> my, uh, my last two here on the current uh, scope of the Marlins organization, um, the first is on Kim Ang. Um, you know, monumental hiring, Jeter and uh, Sherman bring her in. Uh, everybody knows the uh, first female GM for a major sports team in America. Tom, as a girl dad twice over here, tell us how proud you were of your former club and why you think this was such a big moment and the right move. You know, the, the thing that interests or I find fascinating about it is how many other teams have come out and other executives have come out and said how overqualified she is. But yet none of them, 
all these years were willing to hire, right? Like it's so easy to praise a decision when you weren't the one willing to do it. Right. Um, I don't understand. I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand that. You know, the, <laughs> to be, to be a GM in this game, you have to understand how a lot of things work. You don't have to actually play the game, right? So the, the sex of the person making the decision should be irrelevant. You know, you see all types of people walking in and out of a clubhouse. Um, will, will there be maybe some interesting dynamics, you know, on a plane, on a six-hour flight somewhere when maybe guys have a little too much to drink and they got to watch what they say a little bit differently? Or, or how often will she be in the locker room? That stuff I don't, I don't know. But as far as, like, knowing her stuff, she's more has been more than qualified. You don't have the roles that she's had in the game with the teams and baseball, like MLB itself, without being qualified. Um, so it's, it's good. I'm happy that Miami did it. But I kind of wish the hiring was just praised for her ability instead of, like, making such a big deal over the fact that, oh, look, they hired the first female. No, they hired someone who was extremely qualified, who happens to be a female. Yeah. Now, as a girl, that like, I love it. Um, any Anytime they get to see somebody break through a glass ceiling and realize they can do anything that everyone else does, uh, to me, is huge. You know, I, I put on the Vanderbilt football game and watched the so they could see the girl kick an extra point. Right. Uh, all that, like, you know, the people who want to tear her down because she did, she did a squid kick the first time. It's like, I don't know how miserable you have to be to, to <laughs> go about that stuff. Um, but it's, it's really nice to see. And I just, in my eyes, like, I always feel like if you're qualified for the role, you should have the role. I mean, you don't, you don't need to, it's just, it seems very simple. And kind of logical that if the person's qualified, it shouldn't matter who who they are, what they look like, and and uh, you know what gender they are. Yeah, I said that same exact thing that Tom just said on Twitter. The fact that it's big, not because she's not just because she's female, but because her accomplishments were finally recognized and she got what she deserved. Yeah, it's just I, I just wonder how many teams have really screwed up the trajectory of their history by passing over or over her. Yeah. You know, now we'll see what kind of, uh, who, who she can bring in and what kind of payroll flexibility and, and moves that are made. But I will not be judging the moves that she makes because she's female. I'll be judging them against other general managers. So, and I hope, and I hope, I would imagine that's how she wants to be judged as well. Right. You know, so, I hope we're looking back in, in 10 years and she's, she's brought, you know, a consistent playoff contender and possibly a World Series to Miami. Like, I think that would be great in everybody's eyes. For sure. All right, Tom, last question I have for you here. Uh, last full question we got. Um, your time with the Marlins based off where the old regime and where they are now. Basically oil and water. We were going a certain way. Now we're going a completely different direction. So quick thoughts here on the current direction of the Marlins as a whole. And as an agent, what would you tell your clients, especially younger players, that the Marlins provide that maybe some other teams don't? Well, I can't, I can't answer what is provided. I can't answer that anymore because I don't know what they have at the stadium. So we always had everything that every other organization had. I mean, our, 
our facility was first class. Our locker room was brand new. Uh, I never played in the old stadium, so I don't know what they had there. But, I mean, you know, there's not many newer parks than, than Marlins Park. So, um, in that regard, like, this stuff's there. And, and they're cha- they changed so much in the philosophy with their development and how they look at analytics and everything like that to where, you know, so I can't really speak to that from an experience. Like I could, I can tell them about the city. I can tell them where to eat. I can tell them about that kind of stuff. But um, as far as like what they're doing as an organization now, it has changed so much. Um, and it's, you know, it's exciting. I do think though, one thing that has to be remembered, the old regime did bring two world series to Miami. Right. And, and I think, it's, an, it's always an interesting question that I, I'm a, I ask myself, right? Like, so I'm a, I'm a huge Giants fan, a football Giants. We won, or they, sorry, I, I never played. We won two Super Bowls in a, in a short stretch, and then there's been some down years. I'll take those two Super Bowls, right? I think I'm not quite sure what – what you would want more as a fan. Do you want those two world championship memories or do you want, like, would you rather be an Oakland fan? Right. Where they, they're always pushing for the playoffs and in that hunt, but there hasn't been a world series in a while. So what the end game is championships, right? So having two of them in, what was it? A 10 year stretch. Yep. How many world series have the Yankees won in the last 10 years? Zero. So, you know, sure, could you have done without the maybe the fire sales after? But that's that's an after effect, right? The that happened. They had to do that, but the prequel to that fire sale was a championship. So, in a way, like looking back at it, you can't necessarily say they they did things wrong. They just did it differently, and they got championships out of it. So. You know, there's 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 the banners hanging out out on that outfield wall. That there's some organizations who have none. So I mean, I guess that's where you got to ask what what do you want, right? Do you do you want to be hopeful, or do you want to hang a banner? Yeah, I spent 11 years out in San Diego, and uh, you know they're getting closer, but they don't have it. So yeah, but close close like to me. So that's another thing. I never said like close shouldn't matter, right? Like right. like. Uh, Moneyball is praised across baseball, but it's produced zero World Series. Right. So what is what what's the barometer here? Like what is what are we looking for? Like consistent, consistently decent teams, right? Or championships. Right. And I don't I don't know what the answer to that is, right? Like, is it more fun as a fan like biting your nails knowing that like oh if we win tonight we make the playoffs but if we don't like the season's over or is it more fun having like two championship rides where you get to have a blast than the other ones like you don't know what the heck's gonna happen (laughs) i I don't know always a ride especially with everything that's happened with the marlins in your time and now so uh, hopefully more championships is what i'm hoping for for sure yeah and i think i think it'll get there but i i do believe like you know you got to take the core and like even this past team a lot of old players on that playoff team, right? Like, it was the fourth oldest team in baseball. So, sure, the, the new trades and everything were great, and the guys are developing. But if they're not supplanted with talented veteran players, it's not going to matter. 
Right. And that's, that's the things that will put, I think will put Miami over the top. You know, you have, you have the arms to build off of. So you use them while they're on their, their league minimum salaries and their pre-armed salaries. And you go pay the, the 15 million for the guy who's going to hit 30 homers. Definitely. Definitely. Well, awesome. I mean, I love that strategy. I hope that's what comes to fruition. The young guys with the veterans in front of them for sure. All right. We just, so, just always like even and even in that rotation, like I think this year was a was a great year for guys to make their debut because um, you just focus. Obviously, the testing and all that was probably very rigorous, but yeah. you just focus up. You just focus on playing. You don't you don't have to go to Philadelphia and warm up in the bullpen with you know two hundred people hanging over the bullpen <laughs> screaming at you, pulling up by like oh well, having. Uh, files on you from like who you took went to prom with like you know going that far back you're in an empty stadium where all it's like basically throwing an inner squad game so the out like you don't have to deal with the state you don't have to go to atlanta and where they're chopping like crazy in the eighth inning and the, and the stadium is you can't hear anything so like now these guys know they're talented enough and they didn't have those outside factors so the confidence is going to be at an all-time high next year i just i do think you know a veteran arm to pair with Sandy will be huge, but those guys are talented. I mean, they're they're the pure stuff wise. They've got five or six guys like I haven't seen that deep in in a while. Yeah, so much depth. That's what we always say. All right, Tom, I got uh, just a handful of quick fire questions for you. They're one two one to two words, short answer questions, and then we'll let you go. So I'll start it off here with the first one. Uh, you could just give us a name, maybe a quick why if you want but the name is fine. Uh, <clears throat> biggest mentor for you growing up and most responsible for your growth as a pitcher? Growing up or, or like playing with? Uh, coming up, either coming up in high school or coming up in the system. Uh, so com coming up through the system, you know, Charlie Corbell, Wayne Rosenthal, and Jeff Schwartz were huge for me. Even John Duffy at Dublin. Like those were all pitching coach guys that they all kind of – you know, bought into, like, really took the time to work with an 18th round kid who, you know, they could have easily just passed on, like, but spend more time focusing on the first or second round guys. Like, the fact they gave me all that attention, um, without that, I, I don't I don't get, you know, a chance. Um, another one, like, Dan Jennings always was a big supporter of mine and always had my back. Great relationship with him, even, even today. We talk quite frequently. Um, from a player side, though, like, you know, um, I played a guy named like Vinny Rotino, who I had. He was on my team in Double A, and I actually tweeted something a, a few weeks back about how I just feel like every affiliate should have a catcher who's too old for the level, who's just salty, and essentially a Crash Davis, who just shows everybody how to do it. And that was Vinny for me, you know. And then you get to the big leagues, and being able to play with Jeff Mathis was just Sitting next to him in the dugout every day, I learned so much about baseball, myself, pitching, the world, you name it. So that wasn't that wasn't one name, but I figured that Perfect. works for me. Perfect. Works, for sure. All right, second round, and you kind of just mentioned it there with Mathis. Maybe this is going to be your answer. But biggest clubhouse per personality that you played with, be it with the Marlins or a different club? Personality. Justin Bohr had a very good personality. He just – 
you get you get a big fella who can who can kind of dance better than he's supposed to, and he's not afraid to do it and sing and likes fish tanks and things like that. So um, as far as just like big personality, uh, he 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 definitely comes to mind. Then you had Jose. You could hear Jose coming from the parking lot. Definitely perfect. All right, next one for you, Tom. A fun one, not baseball related, but we're gonna throw it in here. Um, it's Disney related because. I love Disney, and you do as well. Favorite Disney attraction? Oh, well, so I just did Rise of the Resistance for the first time. Lucky. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. It's just actually, I mean, it's probably the best attraction that you can go on. But since I know a lot of people maybe haven't done that yet, I think I just got to go with, uh, with Space Mountain. Just something about it. Every time I do it, I'm like, oh, man, I've done this a bunch of times. And then I, I still don't know which way I'm turning because I can't see anything. So <laughs> I did it the other day, and I was just like, man, this thing, I feel like it got faster. Yeah, that ride gives me massive vertigo, but it is fun. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> next one here, uh, NLDH or no NLDH? Uh, the pitcher in me want, would say no, right, because it was a lot easier – to pitch to the guy hitting eighth when I knew I can get the guy hitting ninth out. Um, the agent in me says, absolutely. NLDH. Get, get these guys, give these guys a chance to all 30 teams have that ninth bat. You're going to, you're going to, it's just good. It's good for the game and all that. The one thing I will say though, with pay, it would actually probably fix pace of play because then it wouldn't, you, you wouldn't see as many pitching changes and it would be great for starting pitchers because there's a lot of times in my career I remember being, you'd be on the road and I'd be leading off the top of the sixth inning and I'd get pulled because we needed a pinch hit. And if it was the American League, I'd still be in the game. So I think you'd see if, if you did go to Universal DH, I, I think you would see starting pitchers going a little bit deeper into the game, hopefully, and not as many pitching changes. But um, – I th you know, I think we saw this year, it was, kind of, it was kind of fun getting to see teams, like nationally teams have DHs that you never get to see before. It just provided a little bit of a spark. You know, the, the baseball purists, I do love the double switch and all that, but with the three batter rule, like you're, you're kind of taking the manager's hands, you're, you're kind of handcuffing them anyway. So you might as well just change it completely because – you're not going to see the double switches. You're not going to see the matchups. You're not going to see all this. So just let the guys match. Okay, for sure. I definitely agree. All right. Uh, second to last one. If the Marlins were to retire a number tomorrow, who is it? Oof. I feel like you got to go Jeff Conine. Yes. I mean, he's Mr. He's Mr. Marlin. Like you have a nickname, <laughs> Mr. Marlin, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that – and I don't, like, so I don't know if there's a player who has had a long enough career there and put up – you know, maybe looking back, a guy like Stanton, had he, had he said Stanton stayed a few more years, right, where you're talking about a guy hitting 500 home runs in that uniform, that's even that's an easy one. But, you know, so for now I think you got to go with who brings – who do you have the most memories of in a uniform? And I think the, the, having the nickname Mr. Marlin is pretty clear. Yeah, 
perfect. I agree. Uh, and my personal all-time childhood favorite growing up, my ultimate idol growing up in the 90s. So, anyways, uh, last but I, do, but I do think they should put um, – I, you know, I just drew a blank. There was a retired number at some Carl Barger. Carl Barger, number five. Yeah. I don't think he should have a number per se, but I think there should – I think that should go back on the wall. Like retiring a number for a guy who never played in the uniform is a little strange. Yeah, yeah. The, the story behind it is that DiMaggio was his all-time favorite player, so they were. No, I, I, and I and I understand that, but so. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's got a favorite player, right? For sure. Right, and then and then it, you know <laughs> the, yeah, the whole situation where a guy wanted to wear it, and then it makes oh, him look yeah. bad for yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just that whole thing could have been avoided. Yeah, but, I agree. Uh, Non-player, number retired. I think there should be a sentiment for him, but there's not a sentiment for, you know, other guys that did stuff for the Marlins. There's no, there's a sentiment, but there's no number. I think that's how they should do it with Marlins. Right, right. <clears throat> All right. So, anyways, I'll get to the last one here, Tom. And you mentioned nicknames already, so it's on nicknames. So, if you had to create your players' weekend jersey, do you go TK, Big Salad, or something else? Uh. I'd probably go with TK Pitcher, and there's a, there's a story behind that. So yeah. we were on a plane playing cards, and I, Jose had his phone out, and I, I saw my, like, number, and I was like, TK Pitcher. Like, I was stored in his phone as TK Pitcher. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I've, do you know my name? <laughs> I'm like – this is 2016 too. And he's like, oh, I, I just put it in as TK Pitcher. And I'm like, do you have like, I think we were playing with Chris Johnson. Like, do you have, do you have him as like CJ Hitter? Like, is that how you just refer to your team? So from there on, like my, I, I've, I've, guys were calling me, hey, TK Pitcher, how are you? I think my, my 30th birthday, they got me a cake that said TK Pitcher. And it just kind of became like a running gag from that point on. So I probably go TK Pitcher. TK Pitcher, love it. All right, Tom. Again, man, I want to thank It's actually my, uh, pretty sure it's my Peloton name too, TK Pitcher. Yeah. So like, I, it's kind of stuck a little bit, but I do, I do like, I like the big salad again now. I know I, I, when I, there was a stretch where it kind of passed, but uh-huh. when people, if people like tweet stuff at me or, or mention like, Hey, big salad, I'm like, yeah, that's right. You're a true fan. Cause that's a long time ago. <laughs> I loved it. You probably hated it in the, in the moment, but I loved it. I, I, I didn't understand it. it at first. I was like, well, I, don't, I don't, but you know, that's also because I didn't see the, the clip of where I believe it was Rich Waltz was like, Oh, it looks like he has a big salad on his head. And then yeah. everyone's like, Oh, the big salad. I mean, people just started calling me the big salad. But I also thought like that the Marlins missed marketing opportunities. They could have sold like the big salad at a, at one of their concession stands, you know, something like that. Like, I would. I just saw it would have been funny, but I probably needed to be better. Got like a salad bowl I, play night or something like that. That would have been cool too. Yeah, right? just, <laughs> hey, come get, come go purchase the big salad. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. But I love the nickname. All right, Tom. <laughs> I want to thank you so much again for taking the time. I love all of your stories. I could listen to you talk forever with all the stories you have. It would be amazing. But I got to limit this to like an hour. Anyways, <laughs> I always <laughs> want to thank you. Uh, so much for being a guy that I got to cover as one of the first guys, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, with the Marlins as a reporter and a guy that I always enjoyed watching pitch as a fan. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to get to follow you and report on your career. Uh, true assets to the Marlins, as I mentioned and went through, and to baseball as a whole. 
and your work continues now with the kids. So we love it. So thank you again for doing this with me today. Give Ashley, Riley, and Reese our best, and we'll stay in touch, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was fun. All right, definitely. Tom Kohler, right. ladies and gentlemen. TK, Big Salad, TK Pitcher, ex-Marlins Pitcher, and a certified MLB agent, director of pitching performance with Pro Legends, Inc., providing his insight on the Marlins then, the Marlins now, his life now, and his life in the agency world. We thank him again for his time. Definitely some valuable insight. We hope you guys really enjoyed it. Thank you again to Tom, and we'll see you guys next time on Swimming Upstream. Oh, 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 oh